think because we have such a small crowd this morning in here, I'm going to go ahead and preach from down here so I can be at least a little bit closer to you. I'm sorry to Brian and Mary Jo um, that they're going to be a little bit way back there unless they want to come on out here and join everybody else. More than welcome. So in all transparency, the sermon for this morning is one that I wrote in seminary. And I've kind of just been hanging on to it for either the right time or for a week that inspiration doesn't really hit or, you know, when there might be a snowstorm coming and I'm not sure if I'll actually be able to give one. So I chose this one and hopefully it's one that I do feel speaks a little bit to both the change to the new year and then challenges us a little bit in a different way. So we all have these cheesy, inspirational quotes in our lives that we like to use to make us feel better when things get a little tough. When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. When the going gets tough, tough get going. Don't know if you've heard this one. When you come to the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on. We'll come back to that version of it. Uh, Life's not easy. So we have these inspirational quotes to give us hope and to give us comfort. But you know, sometimes wouldn't it just be a whole lot easier to give up? When life gives you lemons, just throw them out. When the tough, when life gets tough, just give up, take a nap. Hey, Elijah, was it Elijah who God made take a nap when stuff got tough? When you come to the end of your rope, I wrote let go, not tie a knot, and uh, <laughs> something else that Marcia said. But, uh, <laughs> but when, the, when you come to the end of your rope, maybe just let go. When I first wrote this sermon several years ago, I had one of those moments. I had received constructive feedback from someone whose opinion I greatly valued. But the feedback was something that was surprising to hear and not what I expected. To be honest, it pretty well knocked me out for several days. I started questioning why I was working at a particular organization. Why was I putting in that much time and effort if that was how I was being perceived? Multiple times I said to Cody, I'm done. I can't continue doing this anymore. But then one morning I heard this cheesy, inspirational quote, what doesn't challenge you doesn't change you. What doesn't challenge you doesn't change you. And I was, as I was driving soon after I heard that quote, I realized that giving up wouldn't help the situation. There was a reason I received the feedback I did Whether I thought it was accurate or not, there was a particular perception. And I didn't agree with that perception, nor did I like it. But what doesn't challenge you doesn't change you. If I gave up on the situation like I wanted to, what good would it have done? If I gave up on the organization, how would that have helped? And if I gave up on the person and the feedback, I wouldn't have grown from it. 
More importantly, though, I received the constructive feedback because my mentor hadn't given up on me. The feedback was intended to help me grow. What doesn't challenge you doesn't change you. As we turn to our scripture, Isaiah is speaking to Israel. While they are in a not-so-good place, which seems to be pretty common for Israel, at the time of the scripture, the Babylonians had captured Jerusalem, the temple has been destroyed, and the people of Israel are in exile. They are at an immense low and are questioning whether God has abandoned them. At this point, God says through the prophet Isaiah, Comfort, O comfort, my people. In the time of their suffering, God is trying to comfort them. God is trying to comfort them even though, who do you think got them into the mess that they're in? They did. God told them what to do and what path to follow. However, Israel chose not to listen to God. And they did what they wanted to do. They are in exile because of their own actions. The exiles, their punishment or consequence for not listening to God in the first place. And it can be thought of as a form of divine chastisement for breaking the covenant with God. They broke laws and promises with God, they acted contrary to how God expected, and they are experiencing the consequence. Yet God's response, in a paraphrase of uh, verses 28 to 31 that Brian read, God is saying, I have never left you. I have never abandoned you. I am the everlasting God, the creator of all things, including you. I do not grow tired or weary. My understanding knows no end. If you wait for me, I will strengthen you. You will run and not grow weary. You will soar on the wings of eagles and not fall because I am the Lord your God. God doesn't give up on us when we walk away from the divine path laid before us. If there were someone to give up on in the scriptures, it would have been the people of Israel. If you read through the entire Old Testament, and I know I've said this before, there's this overarching theme of Israel in that they disobey and walk away from God again and again and again. But they always return to God, and God takes them back. Because God never left them nor gave up on them. God doesn't give up on us when we screw up or make mistakes. God allows us to experience the consequences of our actions. But God never leaves us during those times. God knows that what doesn't challenge us doesn't change us. I think of how difficult it has to be for God knowing the past, present, and future. Knowing that when we disobey and don't do what he's commanded us, God knows where our choice is going to lead us. 
that us choosing the wrong path may cause us pain and suffering. And yet the Lord lets us make those choices because it's through our mistakes that we learn. My mom has told me repeatedly that this lesson has been one of the hardest as a parent. Seeing her kids make choices that she knew were not the best, that she knew where the outcome would lead and what the consequence would be. And yet she said that she and my dad would let us make those choices because if we never did, we would never learn. I have to say as a parent myself, I agree it's one of the most difficult but beneficial things I can do as a parent. Though with a toddler, my internal monologue usually is something that sounds more like, well, if you would have just done what I told you, you wouldn't be sitting here crying. But sometimes Jude has to do things for himself to learn the consequences. What doesn't challenge us, either as a toddler or as a parent, doesn't change us. But I don't give up on Jude. I still bend down and give him a hug, give him comfort. I still support him and help him grow. And isn't that what God did here with Israel? God let them choose to not follow the divine will and make their own decisions, despite the consequences. Because it was through those consequences that they learned and came back to God. However, just like parents with their children, God never gave up. God was with them in the consequence. God was with them in the pain and suffering. And God was there afterwards to pick them up and guide them again. So up until this moment in the sermon, I hope that this message has made you feel more comfortable in your discomfort. I hope that it has helped us feel more peace, that when we are experiencing challenges in life or when we have messed up, it's so we can grow and, then know, and to know that no matter what, God is always there. But I'm going to shake it up a little bit because that's what I do. This is going to be a very different change. The phrase, what doesn't challenge us, doesn't change us, feels good when we think about that in relation to our own lives. But what about when we look at other people's challenges? Do we see other people's challenges as ways of helping shape them to be able to change? I mean, how many of us have read parts of the Old Testament and looked down on the people of Israel for not getting it right and wonder how in the world God had so much patience with them? Do we have that, that much patience with people in our lives who are experiencing challenges in the way that God dealt with Israel? God never gave up on them. But we as a society, at least, give up on people all the time. So who are some groups of people, not necessarily individuals, but who are groups of people that we tend to, as a society, give up on? People who are homeless. 
people struggling with addiction. People in jail. Hmm? People who have disabilities. I think you hit most of the ones on my list. And the one I'm actually going to focus on for the remainder of this are people who have been in jail. As a group of people in our society, we often give up on people who have committed crimes and are in jail or prison. When they are released after having served their sentence for their crime, how easy is it for them to reintegrate into society? Not. Challenges finding housing, a job, a job that's needed for housing. If we look at people who committed crimes the same way we have looked at Israel, they broke the law, they experienced the consequence of their action, and then they're supposed to have another chance at life. What doesn't challenge us doesn't change us. These people have been challenged by going to prison, but do we think they have actually been changed? Do we think they are capable of change? The transition for people coming out of prison is not easy. And because of those challenges that they experience trying to reintegrate, over three quarters of prisoners will be rearrested within five years. Half will be rearrested within their first year, and then it gets up to 75%, that three quarters within five years. Now, how can we not just want to write them off if 75% of prisoners are going to end up back in jail? Why should we even bother? Maybe they haven't changed. If what challenges, but what, if what challenges us is supposed to change us, maybe we need to ask the question, why are they not changing? And maybe it's because we've already given up on them. We don't expect them to change. We may not think that they can change, so we don't encourage them. We don't support them when they're released. But I'll tell you this, God hasn't given up on them. They are still children of God, and in the midst of their suffering, the Lord has not abandoned them. So maybe we shouldn't give up on them either. One system that's taking a different approach is Norway. Didn't know you were going to get an international lesson. In which their focus is on rehabilitation as opposed to strict punishment. A little background on Norway, though. Norway does not have a life sentence. They don't have the death penalty and they don't have a life sentence. The maximum sentence in Norway is 21 years. And as a prisoner is coming close to the end of their sentence, they are evaluated to see if they've been rehabilitated. And if they are evaluated as not having been rehabilitated, they will have five years added on to their sentence again and again until they've been considered rehabilitated. Because of their not being life sentences, most prisoners will inevitably be re-entering society, except in extreme situations. And so because of this re-entering, they want prisoners to be functioning members of society. So they've been reforming their prison system. 
There are these newer prisons, prisons known as open prisons, in which prisoners are still removed from society, but they have more freedoms and responsibilities within the prison. One of the most famous ones is Bastoy, which was created, I believe, in 1982. That's on an island. The prisoners each live in small houses, about four prisoners per house, on this island, growing much of their own food, raising animals, and learning trade skills. During the day, they work, and in the evening, they relax, even some sunbathing on the beach. They're still removed from society and their old lives, which ultimately is the punishment. And prisoners can request to be transferred to this type of prison for the last three years of their sentence. So it's not that they are serving out an entire 20 years there. But they have on their prison people who have committed assault and murder, living peacefully together. And this isn't the only different prison in Norway. Holden Prison, which was built in 2010, is a maximum security prison that emphasized rehabilitation. This is a picture of their rooms. Looks more like a dorm room. And what you can't see is that behind the door right here, they get their own personal bathroom. So maybe a little nicer than a dorm room. In the next photo, you can actually see their art room. They have art rooms, music rooms, a graphics design suite where they can earn a degree in graphics design. And then in the last, last photo that I'm going to show you, there's a playground so that when families and children come to visit, they can spend time outside playing with their kids. The officers, which I believe they refer to as, it's not prison guards, it might be correctional officers, might be a different term, I apologize. Um, but the officers do not carry weapons in the facility. And they go through a two to three year training process to be able to work at a prison in Norway. These types of prisons work because Norway hasn't given up on people. The prisoners are challenged in a way that promotes positive change. In, a governor, in, in an interview with the governor, who we would call the warden, but they call the governor of Holden. He stated, in Norway, all will be released. There are no life sentences. So we are releasing your neighbor. If we treat inmates like animals in prison, he said, then we will release animals onto the street. Amen. When we give up on people, they will behave in a manner consistent with our perception. However, if we do not give up on people, they will be able to succeed. They will soar on the wings of eagles. And in comparison to our 75% recidivism rate, Norway's is around 20 to 25%. Treating people like people works. Not giving up on people helps them succeed. I use this prison example not to say that we all need to take on a prison ministry. Though if that's your passion, please go for it. But 
I use this example as a way to show how viewing people's ability to change can massively affect their ability to change. So my challenge for you is to evaluate who in your life is going through challenges, and our first reaction is to write them off or give up on them, or to pass judgment or ridicule, or not have patience. Who are people that are experiencing challenges? Do we see them as having the ability to change? And do we see ourselves as being Christ to them, helping bring comfort, helping support them in ways that bring them closer to God and the path that God has called them? Nothing is impossible with God. And we are called to support God's work here on earth. I'd like to end just with a rereading of the scripture. Comfort, O oh comfort, my people, says your God. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youth will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen.